the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The answer. Thank you so much for joining us at 8 minutes past 10 o'clock as we continue on this Thursday, the first morning of the 11th month of the year of our Lord, 2018. Great conversation with Congressman Jim Jordan last segment. Reminder, coming up in uh, about a half an hour or so at about 1035, we're going to talk about an Ohio race, specifically the race for state auditor Keith Faber, who is a state uh, state uh, representative, former state senator, uh, candidate for auditor, is going to be joining us to talk about the role of the auditor and uh, why that vote matters and why your vote for auditor should matter on Tuesday. So that'll be coming up at about 1035. We are uh, endeavoring to reach uh, Sheriff David Clark, uh, who is scheduled to join us next to talk about also the midterm elections, quite obviously. Uh, Sheriff Clark uh, has a very simple message. Get out and vote Republican for borders, Constitution, and law enforcement. That is the, the direct quote from David Clark that prompted me to reach out to try to schedule him for a conversation because um, he gets it. You know, he also understands it by way of his book, which is called Cop Under Fire, Moving Beyond Hashtags of Race, Crime, and Politics for a Better America. And we're going to talk about that as well as uh, uh, his, uh, you know, his stra- staunch support since he left uh, office. Remember, he has, uh, had been the many times uh, reelected sheriff of Milwaukee County. And uh, he, of course, uh, has uh, retired from that position and is now a full-time pundit and commentator on uh, matters of uh, politics and race and uh, policing in America. So Sheriff Clark is scheduled to join us. I don't know where he is. He should be on right now, but uh, uh, that's where we stand. So in the meantime, I do have the audio that I mentioned to you prior uh, to the top of the hour news break from Nancy Pelosi. Now, you remember Hillary Clinton saying, we will not be civil until we win. That's when civility can return, is when the Democrats win. Until then, yeah, well, get ready for more, you know, of, of the, uh, uh, of the, the intimidation, the harassment, the violence, et cetera, et cetera. Well, that was Nancy Pelosi, or excuse me, that was Hillary Clinton on October 9th. So here we are now on November 1st. This actually happened, uh, what did I say, Tuesday night? So it would have been the 30th. So, so October 30th, so less than three weeks later. Hillary Clinton might be old news, by the way. You know, she's the last candidate for president that the Democrats ran. She has hinted that she still wants to be president. If she wants to continue to mess up the Democrat Party as they try to find somebody who can beat Donald Trump, that's fine by me. But this is what Nancy Pelosi said just two days ago, almost word for word, echoing Hillary Clinton. Hillary might be old news, but Nancy Pelosi is the future if Democrats win on Tuesday. There's been a lot of talk lately about um, uh, uh, lowering the temperature of political discourse. Have you you seen evidence of that? Well, I think when we win, you will see evidence of that. Because when we do win, we will have, as we open the new Congress, we will honor the vows of our founders. E pluribus unum, from many one. When we win, we'll honor our founders. When we win, we'll honor their values. When we win, you will see a lowered, uh, more, more civility and, and, and we'll lower the rhetoric and the discord. That's what uh, Nancy Pelosi, and she, like I said, is the future. 
If they win Tuesday, she gets the gavel. I do understand Sheriff David Clark is with us now here on AM 1420. The answer, again, the many times reelected uh, sheriff of Milwaukee County. Now he is a political pundit. He is an author. A tremendous book that is out called Cop Under Fire, beyond, Moving Beyond Hashtags of Race, Crime, and Politics for a Better America. And he runs his website which is americassheriff.com, filled with all of his thoughts uh, and leadership uh, in American politics today. Sheriff Clark, good to have you on the air here in Cleveland. How are you, sir? Fantastic. Great to be on with you. Hello to your listeners. Let me jump right in on what uh, Pelosi said and what uh, Mrs. Bill Clinton has said. Um, basically, what they're doing is they're admitting that their political violence has been their strategy, and they're saying that it will end uh, if they win the House of Representatives. But I'll tell you why it won't. Okay, and we shouldn't be fooled by this Trojan horse. If they win the House, and I'm not conceding it yet, if they win the House, it will reinforce that their vicious, vile tactics for political violence worked. And they will continue it through 2020 or into 2020 and throughout the next year, two years to try to defeat Donald Trump. If they lose the House, which I am counting on, it will make them more angry. And basically what those two communicated was, yeah, this is going to continue to go on unless we win the House. So for them, I I think they see it as win-win, but this political violence will not stop based on what's going to happen on Tuesday. Sheriff, the um, hypocrisy of all of this, not irony, but hypocrisy of all of this, of course, is they continue to blame President Trump and conservatives for rhetoric that, that led to, in their minds, the pipe bomber sending all of these things to prominent Democrats and also to the synagogue shooter, despite the fact that that shooter in Pittsburgh declared he does not like Donald Trump, did not support Donald Trump, did not vote for Donald Trump. But they're blaming the president's language for all of those acts of violence. Meanwhile, their language literally is encouraging uh, acts of violence in their own right. I don't understand how that can be rewarded by voters. It's nothing more than a bait and switch, okay? To try to blame us, our side, when I say us, conservative, GOP, two different things, of course. But, um, uh, you know, they're trying to pin everything on Donald Trump. If it's a rainstorm one day, it's Donald Trump's fault. If it's a hurricane, it's Donald Trump's fault. If it's sunny outside, it's Donald Trump's fault and global warming. So this is a tactic that they've used for a long time. Look, Democrats stand for one thing. They do not, they stand for some external reason being the cause of somebody else's bad behavior, bad decisions in life. That's what they're talking about here. Uh, in terms of this bomber and in terms of the the uh, the shooter at the Jewish synagogue, and, and, and God help those people really in Pittsburgh and all throughout the world. However, uh, it's always somebody else's fault. It's the same with the criminal. It's not the criminal's fault that he took a gun and went into a convenience store and held it up. It's racism's fault. It's somebody else's fault. It's always the external environment that caused some human being to do something because they don't believe in personal responsibility. So that's what's going on here. Sheriff David Clark, as a guest, former Milwaukee County Sheriff David Clark. Again, you really want to visit his website. It's very inspirational, and it's uh, it's leadership personified. It's americassheriff.com. Sheriff, we know what polls mean uh, because, you know, to listen to the polls, Hillary Clinton had a walk to the uh, presidency uh, in November of 2016, and we all saw, found out that uh, the reality was very different. We're seeing something similar now in terms of the pre-election day polls. Um, I, I think uh, the most uh, um, uh, the recent estimate that I saw, the Democrats have an 86% chance of taking over the House. Uh, it will or may, may or may not be a blue wave, but they are going to win enough seats to take back the House. Do you buy that this time around any more than we should have uh, in 2016? 
Well, let me tell you what the polls mean to me. They mean nothing. They're irrelevant. Look, polls of registered voters, polls of uh, likely voters, polls of generic voters, they're irrelevant. The only voter that matters is the actual voter. Those participating right now in early voting states and those that will show up on uh, November 6th, uh, next Tuesday, and those cannot be registered. That poll, the only one that matters, cannot be registered until late Tuesday night when the polls close or early Wednesday morning. So I tell people, forget about that crap. Forget about blue waves and red tsunamis and all this other nonsense from these blowhard pundits on, on uh, the TV shows. This comes down to one thing. Turnout. 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 Turnout will determine this uh, this election. Whichever side can energize and motivate more of their voters to get to actually vote, not likely vote and not register vote, but actually vote, that's who's going to win this thing. So it's going to come down to turnout, which is why I said I'm not conceding anything. The polls mean nothing to me. It's who can get their people to the polls, and I'm counting on our side to be able to do that. I, uh, I'm encouraged, Sheriff Clark, by the uh, early voting turnout. Uh, it, it, at the same time, again, in early voting before 2016, we keep going back to that as a reference, the Democrats actually were turning out in bigger numbers earlier than the Republicans. And the belief was that they are the ones who were more motivated, crawling over broken glass, et cetera, to get to the polls, to elect uh, a Democrat majority so they can impeach Donald Trump. But the numbers that we are seeing in terms of actual uh, turnouts uh, based on uh, party more Republicans are out there earlier than Democrats uh, are in this early voting you know, season. Uh, d- does that kind of give you an idea? Again, we had fewer in, in November of 2016 and won. We have more now here in the early going in 20, uh, 2018. D- d- does that give you confidence? Sure, it does. I mean, you can um, derive a little bit of voter enthusiasm out of that, but I wouldn't go too much further than that because... You know, a person who votes early, a person who votes by uh, by mail, whether they go to a polling station to vote early, that's a voter that can't show up on November 6th. So I say let's not read too much into it. I'm pleased by that. But at the same time, I want people to have a sense of urgency. I want our voters to be scared. I want our voters to be afraid of waking up November 7th to a potential Nancy Pelosi as the new Speaker of the House of Representatives. A scared voter is more... Uh, apt to more energized and more motivated to vote. So if our side is scared of, of, of the prospect of what's ahead, the fact that the Trump vision of President Trump vision of making America great again will be mired in gridlock for the next two years, that's the sort of thing that I've been going all across this country using platforms like yours to get to our base. Be afraid. Be scared. Because fear is a great motivator. That's that's a great point. Although the left would say, Sheriff David Clark, that that is the definition of fear mongering. You're telling people that if they don't, if your party doesn't win, terrible things are going to happen, and it's going to be the fault of minorities. And you know, we have to talk about the caravan and all of these other people. How do you how do you express that? You know, you should be afraid of what the Democrats are bringing without being accused of fear mongering. Sure, that's irrelevant babble from the uh, the left. Again, that's just trying to get us to back off trying to get us to back down. That's what they're used to from, um, not so much the voters, but from the uh, political leaders on the right, as they back down at the first sign of a fight. Well, we have a president now who has shown us a different way. He has motivated us. He has shown us we can fight these forces no matter how. I mean, look at his fight against the deep state, right? 
Look at his fight in, uh, just to win the nomination with, uh, among 16 other established Republic, Republican candidates. President Trump has shown us we can win. If we're motivated, if we're energized, if we're willing to work hard, we can defeat this thing. It's all uphill for us. It always is. There's no doubt about that. And there's no finish line to what we're trying to do. I'm looking at 2018 as a continuation of what we started in 2016. It's going to take several election cycles to uproot the deep state, to push back against this lying liberal media. It's going to take several election cycles. So get ready for the fight. Roll your sleeves up, put the party hats and, and the balloons away. I know we've had a lot of success, but it's time to get back to work now, and that starts now. I don't want to be waking up on on Tuesday, uh, Wednesday morning and, and going through the, 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 the rubble of a disastrous turnout uh, for our side. I don't want to preside over any postmortems about what could we have done different, Sheriff? What could we have done better? The time to talk about that is now. The time to do something about it is now. Come Wednesday, November 7th, you know where my mindset's going to be? Put that in the rearview mirror, win or lose, let's get ready for 2020. I love the ad- attitude, I re- and it is a fight, and it's going to take several cycles. You're exactly right, but specific to this cycle before you go, Sheriff Clark, about that caravan, you know, you said, I want people to realize, be afraid of the fact that Wednesday morning you could wake up with the knowledge Nancy Pelosi is about to take that gavel, and that a whole bunch of these ridiculous leftists are going to be in com- uh, charge of uh, various congressional committees, but also on Wednesday morning, we're going to realize that that caravan of thousands and thousands, and the caravan that's behind that, these people are going to be welcomed into the United States, it's going to be the erasure of our southern border. It's going to be the erasure, quite frankly, Sheriff, of our sovereignty. I want people to be afraid of that. Look, this is an invasion. That's what it is. The abuse of our southern border has got to stop, and this president will make sure that that happens. This is a political construct. These are not people looking for asylum. Uh, These are people who are part of an organized effort to try to challenge the president of the United States and his authority uh, and his ability to protect this country. There, this is a national security threat. He nailed it when he said that. You have potential criminals coming through the border. You have human traffickers coming through the border with, with this invasion. You have potential diseases that are going to be brought into this country. And also, this country cannot, at this particular point in time, cannot withstand this heavy influx of another country's ne'er-do-wells. And those are the threats. Again, that's another issue that's on the ballot for Tuesday. So I think the president is handling this perfectly. Uh, he will get this done. But at the same time, this is one of the reasons why we elected Donald Trump to become the president, the 45th president of the United States, to close that border, to seal that border. He wants a wall. I'm all for the wall. Um, uh, he, um, he also offered four pillars in the State of the Union, uh, State of the Union address to kickstart this broken immigration uh, system, and the Congress sat on it for two years, GOP-led Congress, by the way, and they did nothing with it. Shame on them. They squandered an opportunity. So if, and again, I'm not counting on this, if we lose the House, how are we ever going to fix the immigration system with the Democrats in charge? That is a, that is a very, very great point. That's why I wanted to bring you on so we can inspire people to get to the polls and make sure that does not happen. Vote red this Tuesday. And in fact, get out and do it early, as I've been saying, uh, for, for a couple of weeks now since early voting began in the state of Ohio. Sheriff Clark, I appreciate your time. Keep spreading the word. Keep spreading the message on appearances around the country and by way of your website, americasheriff.com. And thank you so much for your time. Count on it. Be well. 
Thank you, sir. Sheriff David Clark, former sheriff of Milwaukee County on AM 1420, the answer. We went a little long, but that's okay. It was worth it. He is worth it. Again, it's americassheriff.com. Great site for reference and resource for you. Also, his book, get it. It's called Cop Under Fire, Moving Beyond the Hashtags of Race, Crime, and Politics for a Better America. We're back after this. Reviews. 1027, now the Bob France Authority on AM 1420, The Answer. Really appreciate uh, Sheriff Clark coming on. He's, uh, he's blunt. He's direct. Uh, and as he likes to say, I mean what I, I say what I mean and I mean what I say. And, uh, he's right to say that we have a lot to fear. And I, you know, I had to ask him about it because I would be, you know, I think derelict in my duty if I didn't say, well, you're telling everybody vote red or else. And that's fear mongering. How do you, you know, respond to that? Because the left says, you know, the right is always fear mongering. And the truth of the matter is, as the sheriff pointed out, there's a lot to be afraid of. Seriously. The, the erasure of our southern border. The, the surrender of our sovereignty. The impeachment of the president on partisan grounds by a liberal, Democratic-led House. The appointment of, of radical liberals, ex, liberal extremists to committee chair positions who can launch or kill investigations. The deep state having its strongest allies ever, the Democrats in control of the Congress. It just can't be. There, there is a lot to be afraid of. Joe in Lakewood. Hey, Joe, go ahead. You're on the air. Oh, good morning, Bob. I'll get right to the point in the interest of time. This civility uh, that they're talking about reminds me of the old prediction racket years ago where they bust up your place and then come back the next day and say, we can prevent this if you pay us. That's exactly right. That is exactly right. That's, that's exactly what they're saying, isn't it? Uh, you know, we you, you can't expect protection unless you pay us, and you're going to pay us with your votes. If you pay us and elect us, uh, then we'll be civil. We won't have all of this violence. We won't be attacking you in restaurants and on the streets, and we won't be throwing bike racks through uh, through windows in order to stop conservatives and so on and so forth. You're exactly right. It, it is old-style mafia uh, uh, protection, you know, protection at a price. That is exactly what it is. Thank you, Joe, for the phone call. I really love that analogy. I'm going to take a time out for news now, and on the other side of that, Keith Faber, Ohio State Representative, former state senator, wants to be the Ohio Auditor, and we're going to talk about that right uh, right after news on AM 1420. E. There are two sides to every story. There's the mainstream media side, and then there's the truth. You are experiencing the truth. The Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed. 1034, the Bob France Authority continues. Great conversations with uh, Jim Jordan. Congressman Jim Jordan, Ohio's 4th Congressional District Representative, as well as uh, Sheriff David Clark. That was uh, a terrific interview. He's uh, If he doesn't fire you up and motivate you to go out and vote, honestly, I don't know what will. Uh, I do have a lot of great guests who come on this program, a lot of people of national renown, but I don't know if there's anybody that uh, really motivates me uh, by, by, quite frankly, you know, telling, as he says, straight talk, real truth. And if it makes you afraid, sorry, I'm not worried about, quote, fear-mongering. That's left-wing babble. But you do have a lot to be afraid of. 
You do have a lot to be afraid of if you don't vote red and if blue wins on November 6th. We have a lot to be afraid of. This incredible economic growth, this surge in wages that we just saw announced today, 3.1% growth, the highest in a decade. Lowest unemployment in 50 years. Lowest unemployment for blacks and Hispanics and for women and for youths ever, ever recorded. All of this growth, higher higher uh, uh, paychecks uh, for you because you have lower taxes, all of this growth is going to be reversed. That is a lot to be afraid of. And again, our sovereignty will be gone as well. So I uh, really appreciate that message from uh, Sheriff David Clark. All right, I want to pivot now and talk a little bit more politics in the state of Ohio. Not a lot of people pay attention to the race for auditor. I can uh, vouch for that because I'm one of them. I've put my hand in the air. And when uh, I was uh, contacted by a representative of uh, Ohio State Representative Keith Faber, former state senator Keith Faber, former uh, president of the Ohio State Senate from 2013 to 2016, Keith Faber, uh, I said, yeah, I don't know too much about this race for auditor, so you're going to have to educate me. And uh, that was kind of the point. Uh, We want to educate voters about what the auditor does and why it's important uh, to choose correctly and choose wisely in this race. So with that, I bring uh, uh, State Representative Keith Faber, candidate for auditor of state for the Republican Party, uh, here on AM 1420, The Answer. Mr. Faber, good morning, sir. How are you? I'm great. How are you doing? I am fantastic. Thanks very much. Are you, uh, are, are you anticipating and looking forward to the end of this race? Is it going to be a big relief, or are you more nervous because, well, uh, you're, you're, you know, the future of this uh, position is going to be decided in, what, five days? Yeah, it's, uh, well, we're a little both. Uh, we have crisscrossed Ohio. We've done 170,000 miles in our 2008 Chevy Impala. It now has over 300,000 miles on it. Only had two <laughs> breakdowns, so we've had a good good run with it. Um, and uh, candidly, we've gone to 500 plus events in all 88 counties. Uh, look, the state auditor's office. Uh, most people is, don't really know what it does. So the best way I describe it is to tell people what it doesn't do. It doesn't audit individuals. It doesn't collect your taxes, and it doesn't audit business. All it does is audit the people who spend your tax dollars. And in that regard, it is the Bob and Betty Buckeye check on government. It is the place you go if you want government to work better, faster, cheaper, and that's why I'm running for state auditor because that's what I've tried to do as a state legislator. Yeah, I was uh, I was going to actually kind of jokingly uh, introduce that by saying, you know, I don't know if I want to talk to you because I don't want to talk to the auditor. I don't want to be audited. But as you said, it's not about individuals. It's about auditing essentially anybody who spends government tax dollars, right? That's right. That's why it's such an important role. It's the place you go to be a check and balance on waste, fraud, and abuse in government. And using the power of performance audits, something that I expanded as a state legislator, uh, it is the place you go to make the government work more like the private sector. Look, the government doesn't have a profit motive. And so the things you need to do to make government work better are effectively to focus on doing things uh, like performance audits to find ways for services to be delivered with better customer service in a more affordable, more efficient way. And that's why I'm running to be auditor. I know we can save a billion dollars more out of state government. Our current auditor, Dave Yost, has done a good job. He saved a quarter billion. He's getting an ROI of 26 to 1. For every dollar he spends on performance audits, he's saving 26 bucks. I think by expanding that and doing more audits of state agencies, we'll save more money. Do you work uh, in, in, in concert with Dave Yost in any way? And by, by that, I mean not actually while in the performance of his duties, but, I mean, have you spoken with him because he has been so successful and that uh, if you are successful in winning this election, you'll, you'll carry on, you know, what he is doing, you know, and then some? Absolutely, absolutely. Dave, uh, Dave endorsed me early on in this race. I've been endorsed by the Ohio Society of CPAs uh, and by the last four state auditors. Uh, they're kind of, including Mary Taylor, who's a great friend of mine. 
their comments uh, that I am the first person uh, in this office, running for this office in a long time, is going to be able to hit the ground running on day one. And that's because I've spent my time in state government digging into the problems and the waste, fraud, and abuse of the state government. We have found opportunities to make government work better. I drafted Ohio's regulatory reform efforts that have reduced new regulatory filings by nearly 50%. Uh, I'm proud of our record. And you talked about this just a second. Jim Jordan, I'm sorry I missed him on your show. Jim is my congressman. I followed Jim when I went to the state Senate and became Senate president. Uh, when he, I, I took the remaining part of his term, he's been a great friend for a long time. But I come back to this simple philosophy. The last time the Democrats ran Ohio, they left us with 89 cents in the state savings account. You couldn't literally take the entire state savings account and go to McDonald's and get a small cup of coffee. Today, we've got nearly $3 billion. They lost 400,000 jobs. Today, we have over 600,000 new jobs in this state. That's 600,000 families that have dignity of work. That, that's just crucially important. At the same time, we cut more than $5 billion in taxes. And the Democrats, they're talking about going back to that terrible past. They're talking about spending down the rainy day fund for, for frivolous type things. They're talking about raising taxes, and they're talking about, frankly, not uh, politicizing the state auditor's office. It is important to know that the state auditor's office, while a partisan election, it is not a partisan office. You wear the jersey of the umpire, you call balls and strikes, and the fact of the matter is, if you've got a Democrat who does something good, you commend her on it. You've got a Republican who does something bad, you condemn them on it. That's the role. You have to have independence. You don't get to second-guess your decision for the public policy of the legislature and the public policy of the local government folks. You need that independence of the auditor. That's the biggest difference between me and my Democrat. My Democrat opponent wants to politicize the office and use the, the auditor's office for hyperpartisan goals. He wants to affect Nancy Pelosi policies here in Ohio. We're talking with State Representative Keith, Keith Faber, who is the GOP candidate for uh, Auditor of State. You know, in your time in the uh, General Assembly, both uh, in the in the House and in the uh, State Senate, you uh, worked uh, very hard on the cost of college. Uh, talk about that for me, uh, because that is, I've got a daughter, I've got a senior daughter, and I've got a sophomore son in, in high school. So I've got college literally staring me in the face this coming fall, and, uh, uh, and then a couple of years later I've got another one. Talk about the cost of college and what you were able to do there and what kind of initiatives you might be able to spearhead from the uh, auditor's office. Yeah, it's great. A little background first uh, to understand why this is so important to me. I am the first one in my family to go to college. I'm the youngest. I was raised by a single mom. Heck, my first job was as a janitor for a local business, cleaning their toilets and sweeping their floors. And, and I had the opportunity to go to college because I got some scholarships and then worked my way through college, did the same thing for law school at Ohio State, worked my way through as a probation officer and waited tables and, and bartended, all the things you do to get by. I know firsthand the quality benefits that come from life from an education, whether it's vocational school or, or higher education. And, and the, that's why I took this issue of higher education so important. Higher education is the only thing in our society, only thing that's gone up even faster than health care. And so when I was president of the Senate, I said, we, this is enough. We've got to change this. So we issued a challenge to all the state colleges and universities to rein in the high growth and the cost of higher education. And by the way, the cost of higher education is more than just tuition and fees. It's room, board, books. It's getting out in four years instead of five. It's two years for an associate's degree instead of three, and so many other expenses. And so we told them we needed them to be more efficient, to innovate, to do better. The good news is that challenge resulted in a statewide savings, a reduction in the cost of degrees in this state by a statewide average of 11.7%. Uh, in fact, Ohio State was just rated last year by the Chronicle of Higher Education as the lowest rate growth of any Tier 1 college or university in the country over the last decade, largely because of this 
this challenge that we issued. Um, that's a good start. Part of that is we also allowed the state auditor's office, the job I'm running for, to now go in and do performance audits of higher education to find additional ways for them to save money, to put money in, in back into the pockets of students, and to make higher education more affordable. That is important for Ohio's economic growth and economic vitality long road, in the long run. You know, um, uh, we're talking to Keith Faber, uh, state representative, former state senator, candidate for auditor of state. I know this wouldn't be in your purview as uh, as an auditor, but um, there's a there's it's it's a political issue. Um, the idea of potential forgiveness of loan debt, college debt, uh, for people who are trying so hard to swim upstream against it. You know, they had to borrow thousands and thousands of dollars, and they're into their work careers, and they're <laughs> writing a check every month that really really inhibits their ability to start families, and so on and so forth. And I'm not advocating by the way that all of loan debt be forgiven i'm because i'm a person who had to suffer through it and paid it and uh and 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 i know what it's all about but that is an issue and it and it has drawn you know various points of view from from both sides of the political aisle uh, any any feelings on that even again not that you'd be able to affect that as an order yeah. but any thoughts on uh, on loan forgiveness yeah the, the, the high loan debt crisis I, again is a <clears throat> symptom of the runaway cost for higher education i am always concerned with just the forgiveness plan uh, I, I like loans better than grants. Uh, look, I took loans out to go to school. I paid them back. Um, and in the end, the key is is making sure people have access to high-quality jobs to be able to afford to pay those loans back and aligning aligning the programs with jobs. I mean, take, I, I used to joke that uh, when we had Longenberger, you might have needed an underwater basket-weaving program, but we don't have longer <laughs> Longenberger anymore. So I'm not sure those that training is going to get you a really high-quality job. You need to align the degrees you're taking with the cost. And, and that needs to be part of the discussion up front. But part of this is a discussion in general of how we do higher education. Uh, I had, uh, when I was president, another initiative. We talked about out-of-state students. We educate an awful lot of kids from other places. And I've always said I'm less concerned about where they're from. I'm much more concerned about where they go when they graduate. If they stay in Ohio and they're going to contribute to Ohio economy, I'm for uh, giving them in-state tuition. Uh, because that makes sense. We're going to have these people here that help build upon Ohio's economic future. And so that's another thing we can do to try and make college and higher education more affordable. But again, I am concerned about just waiving uh, this concept. And, and this concept of free college just drives me batty. Because yeah. there aren't a free no such good. thing. Uh, yeah. And, and if you don't have a relationship with skin in the game, you're not going to take, you're just not going to take it seriously. We all totally agree. We're in school. We all saw this when we were in school. Uh, the kids who didn't have, uh, didn't take it seriously generally didn't have skin in the game. And so uh, I know that I had to work hard. I took those classes. I didn't miss class. I, I did it because I knew I was paying for it. And, and that was an important, uh, an important distinction. But, look, I do think that it is appropriate for us to look at the debt in relationship to other factors. But I am always hesitant to have a program that, that gives free goods. Let me ask one other question before you go, and we appreciate your time. Uh, Keith Faber, who is a Republican candidate for Auditor of State. The Auditor is, if I understand it correctly, one of seven people, another one of your jobs, um, would be to draw the districts, legislative districts. Um, we all know that there have been accusations of gerrymandering, and in fact, in some cases, proof of gerrymandering. It's been done by Republicans. It's been done by Democrats. Uh, and, and you know, we have some very strange-looking districts in the state of Ohio right now uh, with things snaking from, you know, uh, you know from, from two and a half hours away into other districts. So uh, thoughts on that? Thoughts on, on the redistricting and the gerrymandering that has been done and a lot of people don't want to see happen anymore? Uh, you're exactly right. Gerrymandering is bad. 
um, and uh, it has been abused. It's been abused by Democrats, and frankly, it's been abused by Republicans. Yes. That's why in 2008, when we went to the Democrats and offered them a deal to put forth a constitutional amendment to try and reform the process, the Democrats told us no. And so, uh, frankly, they thought they were going to have the pen. Uh, they thought they were going to win in 2010. They didn't. And so Republicans drew districts in 2010 that uh, took advantage of that political situation. That's why in 2012 I started the effort working in a bipartisan fashion uh, with folks to start redistricting reform. We ultimately succeeded in 2014 by getting that onto the ballot. Voters approved it by nearly 70 percent. And we now have a process that limits the political shenanigans that can go about when you draw new districts. Um, having drafted that proposal, uh, I am uh, very, very committed to making sure we follow that new constitutional rubric, which requires bipartisanship, but it also requires doing something very important to me, keeping districts and local governments together, not splitting local governments when you can avoid it, and, and keeping districts compact. Uh, the whole concept of drawing these spider districts that go everywhere uh, is, is just, to me, crazy, because you want people to be able to be represented by someone who shares their values. And when you dice and slice districts, you end up minimizing that. We applied a similar approach in May to congressional districts, and I think it's going to make a difference. I think it's going to make the districts more compact and more representative of the people who live there. That's a, that's a great response, and I really, really hope that uh, you and, and the other members, if you are successful in winning this office, uh, see it the same way and really, really try to uh, to bring redistrict, redistrict, redistricting reform. That's hard to say fast. Uh, Keith Faber, former state, or excuse me, yeah, former state senator, former president of the Senate, current uh, state representative, wants to be the next auditor of state. I really appreciate you informing and educating us as to all of the roles that the auditor plays, and I, and I really appreciate you sharing your vision. I, I kind of agree in a position like this, it ought to be nonpartisan and if that's your commitment and your opponent's commitment is to uh is to actually enact you know pelosi style politics from that office that would be uh that would be a big problem for ohioans so so i uh, really appreciate you sharing that with us well thanks so much for having me on i just encourage everybody to go out to vote this is going to be a whisper close election um and it's going to matter uh who people vote for and and this office i am committed to making sure we look out for bob and betty buckeye I am committed to make sure that we do things that make government work better, faster, cheaper. That's what I've tried to do as a legislator, and I am going to continue to, to make sure that uh, this office operates in a professional pass, uh, fashion, not a political partisan fashion, and that's just the nature of this office. And I appreciate your time, and God bless everybody for, for paying attention. Thank you so much, Representative Faber. Faber, we appreciate you coming on. That's Keith Faber, again, for Ohio Auditor here on AM 1420, The Answer. Uh, okay, uh, we've got open lines for the rest of the program. i got about another nine or ten minutes of uh, opportunity to speak with you. Dial now, 216-901-0945, or 888-281-1110 as we come right back on AM 1420, The Answer. Final segment of the morning on AM fourteen twenty. The answer. Appreciate you joining us. I was just, um, I was just review. I, I, you know, I don't even know why I subject myself to this. I guess you have to see what the uh, what the uh, imbeciles are. Are doing uh, in order to to fight back against it, I guess. But I I I was baited, and I went ahead and clicked on a CNN story headlined "Trump shocks with racist new ad days before midterms." 
racist new ad. They said, okay, i got to watch this racist new ad and see what it's all about. There is an ad that the president tweeted. Uh, it's a Republican ad for the midterms that the president tweeted, um, who, which headline is uh, President Donald J. Trump and Republicans are making uh, America safe again. And it features a an unrepentant cop killer who, if you recall, it's Louis uh, uh, Bracamontes, who killed two police officers, went into his arraignment, and was asked how he pled, and who said that the, his only regret is that he didn't kill more of the mother blankers. He's a he's a cop killing illegal immigrant, Louis Bracamontes uh, or Luis uh, Bracamontes. He killed people. He killed cops, and his only regret was that he couldn't kill more. And the ad includes graphics on the screen that say Democrats let him in. Democrats let him stay by way of sanctuary cities, by the way. And who else are the Democrats going to let in? And then it showed pictures of the migrant caravans and the hordes rushing the border and so on and so forth, which, of course, is a great concern because we don't know how many others are Lucas Bracamontes ready to to, uh, come into this country. We do know that there are gang members who like to kill people in the caravan. We do know that there are rapists in the caravan. We do know that there are all kinds of violent drug uh, uh, traffickers in the caravan. We know this, which is why we cannot allow them to come into the United States on a simple two-word political asylum claim and then allow them to go free into the country, promising to come back later for a hearing on asylum. We cannot turn killers loose into the United States. And since we don't know which among the thousands of people coming are the killers, and let's just say it's a teeny tiny percent. Let's say that there's, you know, 10,000 uh, uh, people in the caravan, and let's say that 1% of them are gangbangers, killers, drug traffickers, sexual uh, 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 criminals, sexual offenders. Let's say that only 1% of the 10,000 that are just going to swarm and say asylum and we get to come in, 1%, that's 100 people, right? That's 100 people. Do you want to let 100 of these guy in? It's not a racist commercial. It is an absolutely uh, accurate commercial saying if you allow the Democrats to have their way, more of these people will come in. Unquestioned and unstopped and undeterred, and more importantly, setting a precedent for others to follow. CNN paints it as Trump shocks with racist new ad days before midterms. The Trump campaign ad is the latest example, writes CNN, of the president's willingness to lie and fear-monger in order to tear at racial and societal, societal divides, to embrace demagoguery to bolster his own political power and the cause of the Republican midterm campaign. In what way is he lying? It might be fear-mongering, but guess what? We have a lot to fear. The families of those victims who are killed by these people pouring into the country against our laws, they have a lot to fear. They had a lot to fear. And so do the rest of us. It's not fear-mongering if it's telling the truth. And there is no lie in the commercial. And this is why the president is going to continue 
It's why the president is going to continue to remind everybody that news organizations, and I use that that term very loosely, news organizations, like CNN, are indeed the enemy of the people. Not all media, not all media members, not all journalists, but organizations like CNN that wantonly lie, distort, and misinform are the enemy of the people. That's where I have to leave it today. Thank you so much for everybody who called. Thanks to everybody who uh, listened. Thanks to my guests. Thanks to our staff. And thanks to you. We'll talk to you tomorrow morning on AM 1420, The Answer. Enjoy the silence. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.